Hello, and welcome to the turbulent world of Middle East soccer, or Mid-East soccer podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Last month's Islamic summit in Malaysia failed to challenge with a bang Saudi influence in the Islamic world and Muslim silence about repression of adherence to the faith in countries like China and India. Yet, it has produced ripples that spotlight the risks and fragility of opportunistic acquiescence. Despite failing to achieve its immediate objective, the Kuala Lumpur summit has galvanized a stronger response by the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, OIC, and the Gulf Arab states on issues affecting Muslims in India and, to a lesser extent, China, said Hassan al-Hassan, a scholar who focuses on Gulf-South Asia relations. Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates successfully pressured Muslim countries like Pakistan and Indonesia to boycott the Kuala Lumpur gathering because it was organized beyond the auspices of the Saudi-dominated OIC, the usual organizer of Islamic summits. The Gulf states also feared that the gathering, called to draw attention to the plight of persecuted Muslim minorities, threatened to embarrass Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and others who have endorsed the brutal repression of Turkic Muslims in China's troubled northwestern province of Xinjiang and remain silent about mounting discrimination of the world's largest Muslim minority in India so as not to jeopardize economic relations. The Gulf states were also worried that expressions of concern about the plight of Chinese Muslims would spotlight their adoption of aspects of China's developing Orwellian surveillance state that has been most comprehensive in the crackdown in Xinjiang. More fundamentally, the Kuala Lumpur summit, supported by countries like Turkey, Iran, and Qatar, as well as Islamist groups such as the Muslim Brotherhood, highlighted the struggle for leadership of the Islamic world, as well as Malaysia's strained ties with key Gulf states. Breaches in Saudi Arabia and UAE-led efforts to prevent the plight of their co-religionists from disrupting relations with India and China are, however, emerging and could be widened by a suggestion by India's top military commander that Kashmiris be interned in de-radicalization camps after Prime Minister Narendra Modi withdrew Kashmir's status as the country's only Muslim state and imposed harsh security measures. General Bipin Rawat's suggestion raised the specter of India emulating China's system of re-education camps in Xinjiang, in which at least one million Turkic Muslims are believed to have been incarcerated in an effort to get them to accept that President Xi Jinping's thought supersedes precepts of Islam. General Rawat's suggestion came on the back of an amended Indian citizenship law that made religion a criterion for refugees from Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, but excluded Muslims, as well as a Supreme Court decision that was widely seen as favoring Hindus in a dispute over the site of a destroyed mosque in Ayodhya in Uttar Pradesh state that Hindus believe 
was the birthplace of one of their most revered deities. If implemented, General Rawat's suggestion would make it more difficult for Muslim states to not only turn a blind eye to what is happening in India, but also to the crackdown in China. Accurate Muslim states are already under pressure from Pakistan that is seeking to extract a price for dropping its original support of the Kuala Lumpur summit by pushing the Islamic world to speak out about Kashmir. Popular pressure in some Gulf states and mounting anti-Chinese sentiment in various Central Asian nations. Pakistan was awarded with the OIC criticizing the amended citizenship law and the court decision and agreeing to discuss Kashmir at a meeting in April, although it was unclear at what level. Similarly, the UAE appeared to be acknowledging Indonesia's decision not to send Vice President Maruf Amin, a senior member of Nadatudul Ulema, with 50 million followers, the world's largest Muslim organization, to Kuala Lumpur, with pledges of $23 billion in investments. Efforts by a majority of Muslim states to ignore the plight of their co-religionists may, however, be built on ice that is slowly melting beyond the OIC concession to discuss Kashmir. Last month, Nahdatul Ulema, as well as Muhammadiyah, with 30 million followers, another major Indonesian Muslim organization, issued statements condemning the crackdown in Xinjiang. At the same time, Muhyiddin Junaidi of the Indonesian Council of Ulama, the country's top clerical body, and one of a number of Muslim leaders invited to Xinjiang in a bid to convince them that reports of a crackdown were inaccurate, called on the government to more openly denounce Chinese policy. Standing up for endangered and disenfranchised Muslim and non-Muslim minorities is a litmus test for Nadatul Ulema, which has launched a global effort to promote a recontextualization of Islam, as well as a humanitarian interpretation of the faith that emphasizes human rights. Kuwaiti lawmakers last month petitioned the government to speak out about the plight of Muslims in China and India, while Bahrain's Council of Representatives welcomed the new year with a statement describing India's amended citizenship law as discriminatory and urging the international community to save the lives of innocent Uyghur Muslims in China. Pressure to speak out about anti-Muslim policies in China and India could put steps by various Gulf and Central Asian nations to adopt aspects of the surveillance system adopted by China in the firing line. Saudi Arabia and the UAE have been accused of deploying surveillance software to monitor the communications of regime critics in country and abroad, as well as activists and journalists. Central Asian nations such as Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, where anti-Chinese sentiment is simmering, are about to test China's Orwellian citizen scoring system that is being introduced to score a person's trustworthiness. The system would determine what benefits a citizen is entitled to, including access to credit, high-speed internet service, 
and fast-track visas for travel based on data garnered from millions of cameras in public places, social media, and online shopping data, as well as scanning of irises and content on mobile phones at random police checks. China has already begun to make deployment of its intrusive surveillance systems a precondition for investment in Central Asia. In some cases, China appears willing to supply the infrastructure at no cost as part of a smart city project developed by controversial telecom giant Huawei for initial rollout in former Soviet states. Liu Jiangjing, head of Huawei's representative office in Uzbekistan, disclosed China's insistence on adopting its surveillance approach in an interview with an Uzbek news outlet. Investors will only go where the situation is stable. In view of this, the implementation of the Safe City project is very important for Uzbekistan, as it will help the country develop its investment potential, Mr. Leo said. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, at mideastsoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Best wishes and take care.